This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. If you've got your Bibles, would you open to the book of Romans chapter 5? For those of you joining us online, we are so grateful. We have the conduit couch potatoes. Hey, we should make some shirts for those who do it at home, like the conduit couch. Conduit on the couch. This is from Kathy Holton. Um, She says, the impossible, question mark, God performed the impossible on me once again. My lungs. She didn't have COVID. She had a whole other thing. She says, I haven't breathed this well in over a year and a half after a surgery. She had knee surgery that should have made my lungs worse. I'm a walking miracle of God opening up my lungs. And she just sent that over like five minutes ago. So God is doing the impossible right here. We had one other person who um, came forward for prayer this morning. And, you know, some of you, if you had the Rona, you can't smell anymore. You guys know about that? Um, They hadn't been able to smell yet, and they got prayed for down here and went back and leaned over to say something to their child and realized they could smell how bad their child's breath was. Um, So, A, thank God for miracles, and B, be careful what you ask for. (laughs) So, you know. Um, So while you're turning to Romans 5, uh, my name is Darren. I'm one of the pastors here. We're so, I honestly am so glad you're here. And I, I know last week Mo uh, shared the story of his uh, being a scofflaw, uh, a, a criminal running from the police. Um, we had to, uh, he had some of you guys raise your hands. I want you to know we, uh, if you had run from the police and escaped, we went ahead and just eliminated and deleted all that tape. So the evidence is gone in case of the statute of limitations. But just know that, you know, God has redeemed uh, a wretch even like Mo. Um, it is Dukes of Hazard, Bonnie and Clyde, Thelma and Louise, whatever moment he was doing. Uh, th- but we're glad that he escaped uh, the, the consequences of his crimes against humanity. Uh, but, it, but it reminded me this week while I was watching, like, oh man, like, I actually didn't run from the police. I actually got caught. Um, I, I, was, uh, I was a youngin'. And uh, in, in Kansas, I was driving, um, so I was doing the rock and roll music. I, before I ever did this, in a whole other world, I, uh, I, I, was, doing, I was doing music, and I was doing worship for camps and, and uh, leading uh, stuff, and I, you know, and I wasn't very good. I, I, didn't, I didn't let it stop me, but I, um, I was coming south from Fort Scott, Kansas, after leading uh, worship at a, a Fellowship of Christian Athletes event. Parenthetically, the, that is considered a hate group now. Did you know that? Did you know that? When they were talking about Chick-fil-A being bigots and hateful people, that the, the, one of the organizations they had donated to that was hateful, that made them a hate group, was FCA. So, so in other words, if you're with FCA, just know that you have been by uh, the Southern Law, uh, Poverty Law Center. It calls you a hate group. But anyway, you get that for free. Here, point is, I led worship for this FCA thing. I'm driving south, and when you go through a small town in anywhere USA, I mean, I don't know if Chris Peterson is in here. Your dad is a police officer for a long time, but small town, they actually will pull you over. I grew up in a very small town, not because you are guilty, but because you look guilty, right? I'm pretty sure it's a violation of something in the amendment uh, the constitution, but Hey, this kid looked guilty. And now in fairness, you're looking at me now. Uh, the, you know, the washed up Alec Baldwin, actually, that's probably not a good reference today. Uh, <laughs> Uh, let's let's go with uh, what's, what's another one? Uh, what's the dude on the office? Uh, Robert California. Let's go with Robert California um, for today. 
Uh, you're thinking that's who they pulled over, but that's not who they pulled over. Uh, th this is the guy that they pulled over. Um, it was, and I, I mean, I look guilty. You know what I'm saying? With that mullet. That's right. My wife is watching this morning on, on uh, can we get a, make sure she gets a close-up of that at home, Ethan? Just, I, just wanna, I just want her to drink in and remember that was who she married. Um, here's the thing. If my daughters, okay, I got three daughters, and if they bring home that, do you know what I mean? I'm going to have a heart attack. Like, that's, here, you know what my plan was at this point in my life? I hope something neat happens. Like, that was my plan. And she said, yes, I'll marry that. I hope something neat happens too. So here we are. Welcome to the neat. So this was in 1991, 92, I'm pulled over and an officer, I don't remember what his name was, uh, you know, asks for my driver's license and registration. And, and, um, and by the way, I've got a money bag full of cash because I just sold a lot of those very awesome uh, cassettes and CDs. And by the way, those are all off the market. I have made sure of that. If you find one, some of y'all are thinking challenge accepted, I will pay an interesting amount of money to get that back from you uh, to make sure that that doesn't happen. I, I don't know what that number is, but it's higher than you think it's going to be. So um, I, anyway, I've got this thing full of cash. I've got five earrings. I've got the Kentucky waterfall uh, mullet thing going on. And, uh, and he wants to check my ID, and he comes back to the car and says, oh, son, I'm going to need you to step out of the car and I'm placing you under arrest. To which I'm like, I didn't do anything. I swear I didn't do anything. So I'm, I'm, I mean, they're cuff them and stuff. It's like Roscoe P. Coltrane. Like I'm getting arrested and thrown in the back of the cruiser. And I find out that what had happened was that I was looking guilty, but it turns out I actually was guilty. I had received a, uh, two years before that, a speeding citation in Mankato, Kansas, and it was like $25. I put it in my glove compartment, Bob, and I completely forgot about it, and I never thought about it again. Let me tell you who had not forgotten about it. The courthouse in Mankato, Kansas, who had apparently tried to contact me, but I, you know, I was a young musician, they didn't find me, so they issued, they, they suspended my license and issued a warrant for my arrest. So that was an uncomfortable phone call to my girlfriend at the time. Like, hey, I'm in jail. Uh, no, I didn't fight anybody. I know that's what you think I would normally have done, but that's not it. And I, I, I had to pay for my crimes against humanity. I paid my $75 ticket. I had to go back for court again in Phillipsburg, Kansas. And it was completely absconded from my record uh, because my crimes had been paid for. But here was the thing that I had realized at that time. Just because I did not feel guilty does not mean I was not guilty. I, 100% going about my life, completely ignoring the fact that in my glove compartment was a sin that I had committed against humanity and completely ignoring it. And even though I didn't feel it, I was it. And that's what Paul in Romans 5, did you find Romans 5 yet? Because if you haven't, that's your fault. I've given you plenty of time. If, in Romans 5, Paul talks about this idea that we as humans have been condemned. Condemned is another way of saying 
guilty. A gavel has gone down. You are guilty. And there is a warrant out for your punishment. And you can go around pretending you're not guilty. You can go around living in the sense of the guilt and the, and the shame of your guilt. You can medicate your guilt. Doctors' offices are full of people trying to plastic surgery away their guilt. Doctors' offices are full of people that are trying to just numb it. Uh, rehab centers are full of people that have tried to drink it away. And the truth is, is nothing we can do this side of heaven will take care of the guilt only the gospel. And I want to show you why. I'm making a very specific statement there, but I want to show you why that is true. I'm going to read verses 6 all the way through. Uh, I'm actually just going to read through verse 16. You see, at just the right time, verse 6, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die but God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners Christ died for us since we have now been justified by his blood how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him for if while we were God's enemies we were reconciled to him through the death of his son how much more Having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but also we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And now verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, speaking of Adam, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned, to be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin wasn't charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. But, verse 15, the gift, speaking of grace, of what Jesus did, is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one's sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man. How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace, of the gift of righteousness, reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? If you are barely making it, barely scratching the surface, I want you to underline that, that the reign in life through Christ Jesus, because you were not intended to just barely scratch by. You were intended to reign in this life with Jesus. 18. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also the one righteous act resulted in the justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, 
so also the obedience of the one man will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But when sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through the righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. That's God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and your word right now and just ask your word to be the light and the lamp you promised it to be. In a dark world, Lord, what we really need is a flashlight for our path, which is your word. I pray that that becomes the reality for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you've got your child pickup code being B5E4, you've sank my battleship. <laughs> and we are now switching. Oh, that actually sounds... Can you, I sound so much sexier with this one. Why are we not? Are you hearing me at home, Shannon? I'll be home soon, baby. Too much. Abort, abort. I was listening to a, a, an interview this week, and a guy was talking about these lockdown policies that we have experienced here in America to varying degrees. We've seen how they have been enacted in Canada and uh, the madness that's going on in Australia right now and other countries. But here's what this guy, uh, his idea of what is happening, his opinion of it, which I thought was interesting because it really resonated, but he said that what this has done is allowed educated urban people who live in a state of anxiety, neurosis, and fear to have an external reason for their state of mind. It's not that I'm messed up. It's not that I'm neurotic. It's that everyone is living under the gun, and so it's appropriate that I'm living in this state. I don't have to look inward. I can look outward. That's Michael Malice in an interview that he did this week, and it was a really interesting thought of like, he's saying that what people are happening right now, these lockdowns, I can blame everybody else and it comes from outside of me. That's where this sense of guilt and shame is coming from. But he went on to say this, and this is what jumped out at me. I was driving home yesterday. He said, they're more scared of getting COVID than having COVID because getting COVID means I've done something wrong. Now, think with me. This disease, even in a room like this, has affected many people in different ways. And there's been heartbreak and grief in many of our lives from this. But if you were diagnosed, let's say, in the last 18 months, did you feel guilty when the little lion said you were positive? Just raise your hand. I'm raising my hand. October of 2020, I was, I was diagnosed positive, and I, the first feeling I felt was guilty. Isn't that a weird feeling? Because I felt like I had done something wrong. Now, I'm a guy that's had malaria. I've had some kind of what may or may not have been yellow fever. 
The kind of thing that makes you shake and sweat all night, whatever that was in Africa. I had that one. I've had amoebas. Do you know about amoebas? I don't know exactly what they are, but the, the ability of them to empty the contents of every part of your body is profound. And of all the things that I felt, I never once felt guilt. I felt sick. I felt tired. I felt angry. At one point, I remember wrapped up around uh, some disgusting toilet in East Africa, screaming, God, why? <laughs> why? But it wasn't out of shame. It was just, I just don't want to do this anymore. And what I think malice is tapping into is something that's worth us learning and remembering. And that is there is a couple of kinds of guilt in this world. There is the guilt that can be put on you by societal, by, in, in this case what's happened is epidemiology has decided to make morality part of the epidemiology and confuse this whole thing together. But there are things that you can put guilt on you that you actually don't have to feel guilt for. For instance, the, the long flowing hair that I had in Bible college I was not allowed to have, okay? Now, we had a picture of Jesus on the wall with long hair, right? Nobody, nobody mentioned that, but Darren's hair wasn't allowed because it was too long. So to make you feel guilty, and some of you might have grown up in a, in a fundamentalist world where you felt guilt for something that was not from God. That is a guilt that is coming from society. It's coming from culture. That is not the guilt that God wants to see in you. There is a guilt, on the other hand, that he does have. And it's 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10 for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret whereas worldly grief produces death. It speaks of this, that there is a thing that, that God has said that if you are violating these things that that sense of guilt, that sense of grief is actually from him because you have violated something not within you, but you have violated something from outside of you. You see, when I showed up in Pittsburgh, Kansas, I didn't feel guilty inside, but I was guilty from outside because a judge knew that I had violated this ordinance and I was guilty. And in the world we live in. There is a God who has created you, created me. He's created us with the way that we were designed. And when we violate that design, as all of us have, it's called sin. And so all of us that have felt that, I want you to know that that's a feeling that God has put in you and that grief that guilt, if you will not ignore it, will lead you to salvation. Now, after salvation, okay, that guilt's gone after that. You know how much I feel guilty right now about getting arrested in Pittsburgh, Kansas all those years ago? None, I feel none guilty. I paid for my crimes against humanity. 
$75, washed clean. I don't feel it anymore because the crime was paid for. And I want to show you in just the few minutes that we have here, I want to show you that the guilt that you feel is actually put there by God. I want to show you how to deal with that guilt, what we do with it, and then I want to show you how God wants to heal that guilt. And the first point is really simply this, that your guilt, that's not a feeling, that's a fact. Whether or not I feel it or not doesn't mean I am guilty or not. And that sense of guilt inside of us, it says here in verse 9, we get all these verses, but in verse 9, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more will we save from God's wrath through him? There is a judge in the universe that has objectively decided, not based arbitrary or capricious, that you and I are guilty of, of sin, of violating the design against him. And he says it in here that before the law was given, do you see that? You, that isn't that a fascinating passage? That before the law was given, that it, the sin wasn't charged against them. So does that mean that even though they sinned before the Ten Commandments, that it wasn't sin, that, it, that they weren't going to pay for it? He goes on to say, though, but even so, death reigned until Moses. This is a fascinating theological concept to me. That even though they did not know it was a sin, that they didn't have thou shalt not commit adultery. They did not have thou shalt not bear false witness. Even though they didn't have that as a law, what they did have was in the core of their hearts the realization that what they were doing was not right and death reigned because the consequences of your sin, whether or not you know it is a sin, are still real. When I lie, whether or not I knew there was a thou shalt not lie, death still reigned. Whether or not someone knew that they ought not to commit adultery, the consequences were real. And you can take a look, Jerry, if you've read through the book of Genesis, you can see when you know, Jacob starts marrying other people and trying to make babies with other people's wives. All the consequences, death reigned even though there wasn't a thou shalt not. And when Moses comes along and Sinai happens, that is God saying, hey, you know why your lives suck so much? Because you're having sex with your neighbor's wife. Because you're taking his stuff. You're bearing false witness. Don't do these things. Do not put any other gods before me. There are consequences of death in this. And so it enhanced it. So now they could know what these sins are and allow them to emulate these to try to improve their lives. Now, Romans 2 tells us that that's not going to save you either. But it tells us that that was the schoolmaster that tells us that at least we know now what we were doing was wrong. Now, in our modern context, it's not very um, sophisticated to say that there are things that are still sin. Like one of the things that we've done in our culture is instead of saying that there's some objective truth outside that tells us what is right and what is wrong, and so that sense of guilt and that sense of shame that maybe some of us have felt, we, if I just forget about it, if I just medicate it, if I just walk away from it, that it'll go away, doesn't work because 
We all know somewhere inside of us that we still feel guilty. We still feel ashamed because we're trying to change it from inside. If I change it on the inside, then I'm okay. But it's not a subjective feeling. It's an objective fact. So that when Gwyneth Paltrow, and look, in any sermon, you've got to quote Spurgeon and Paltrow. I think that's a... I think that's our new thing here. Gwyneth Paltrow quotes a conduit. But listen to what Paltrow has said about, this is speaking how she taught her children as it relates to sex, to sexual behavior, and to sexual identity. She said to them, "Stay." this is from an article, People Magazine from October 19th, like last week, stay really close to your own truth, she says. I think the main thing that nobody ever tells you is you have to stay really close to your own truth and you have to stay really in integrity with that truth. I will always just encourage my children to really listen to themselves, listen to their instincts, listen to if something you know feels right, and act from that place. Now look, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but I made some decisions in my early 20s that felt right. And you could make a couple of phone calls and find out real quick they were not. That I hurt people. I hurt hearts. I did things that felt right in the moment that I could have argued that it felt right, but it was because I was listening to what was inside of me and not listening to what was external from me in God's word. And this is the truth. People who have decided to make their own reality, and maybe there's somebody in here that that's you, You've decided, I'm going to make my own reality. I'm going to move the goal lines of what is and what is not God's design for me. And you wake up every morning with the same guilt and the same shame. And you have this idea that if I just do this a little bit better tomorrow, that it'll go away. But you know as well as I do that when the lights turn off and the music stops, that the guilt and the shame are still there because you can't medicate it away. You can't pretend it away. You can't surgically remove it away. But you can gospel it away. And that's what I want to show you. The guilt, that guilt that you feel that guilt that I feel, that guilt that we struggle with. I would like to suggest to you this morning is the hardest problem that God ever faced to solve. Now, I know there are some theologians in here and you got a little tense when I say that, but listen, I want, here's why. When God said, let there be light, How long did it take for light to be there? It was instant. When God said, let there be in the heavens and the firmaments, let there be land, let there be sea. There was, there was, there was. But when it came to dealing with your guilt, to deal with the forgiveness, to paying for your sins, right here in this chapter, it says at, I think it's verse six, at the right time, Christ. Do you... you, Do you know what that means? God had to wait for this. God could not speak forgiveness and forgiveness was. 
Do you remember that story where Jesus healed a, a paralyzed man? Joey, I'm sure, taught this in the kids at some point. Joey and Jackie, you're in here this morning where they, they dug a hole in the roof and they let down the paralyzed man, the buddies let him down, and I was thinking, man, Mo would be so disappointed if somebody sawed a hole in here and, and let down somebody, and, and he should be, right? You know, but, but they did this, and Jesus saw their faith and said to the man who was paralyzed, you are healed. That's not what he said. What he said was, your sins are forgiven. Now, if you're the paralyzed guy, you might be thinking, Jesus, while I appreciate your enthusiasm, that's not why I just risked my life to be lowered through the ceiling to get my sins forgiven. My problem isn't my sins. My problem is that I can't move. And Jesus, making a point like Jesus makes, was saying, the paralyzed thing, that's just a symptom. The problem is your sins. And he knew at that moment the Pharisees specifically were in thinking in their minds saying, well, wait a minute. How can he say his sins are forgiven? He's blaspheming, blasphemy. And Jesus knows their thoughts and Jesus says out loud, listen, which is harder to say to this man? Your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk? Now, I would say it was harder to say, rise up and walk. Because what if he didn't rise up and walk? But listen, for Jesus to heal that man, all he had to do was speak. For Jesus to forgive that man, Jesus had to die. That was much harder. And think about what this passage is telling us at the right time while we were still sinners Christ became man he died think about it he is the only person in the history of humanity who not only chose the time of his death he chose the circumstances around it and he chose it before he was born that means he did it willingly no one in history has had that option and chose it willingly He couldn't just speak it. He would have to pay for it. And here's why that is so important for us to know. I can't remember. I think it's John Stott, but there's a a theologian that says that sin, the essence of sin, is me substituting myself for God. Okay, me, the knowledge of good and evil. I'm going to be the one that decides what is good and evil. That is me substituting myself for God. That is the essence of sin. And therefore, the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for me. And in doing so, here is why he had to. If somebody walked in here, and I'm a judge, and this judge has said they have committed a crime, think of a horrendous crime. And, but they're very, very sorry. And as a judge, if I just say, you're free to go. You're, you're really sorry. Well, now that, you've, now that you're sorry, you can go. Much of what's happening in our cancel culture, by the way, right now, is trying to figure out whether somebody is sorry enough and who gets to decide what is sorry enough. But think with me. That metaphor doesn't hold 
Because in that metaphor, the judge is setting someone free, right? And that judge should be fired if they don't punish, if they don't put that person in prison for the horrendous crime that they committed. But what if the crime they committed was not against someone in the courtroom, but the one sitting on the throne in the courtroom? When David sinned against Bathsheba, he said, I have sinned against God and God alone. Now, did he kill Uriah? Absolutely. But who created Uriah? Who created Bathsheba? Who created David? It was God. When David steps in to, to now be God in that situation, he is, you know why we don't allow people to impersonate cops? Because it would be madness out there. Impersonating a police officer is a crime, punishable, and I don't know if Adrian Breedlove is here, he's one of our detectives around, but that's a crime because if everybody in this room decides we're all gonna impersonate police, it would be madness in our community. But in this situation, if I'm the guy now impersonating God, and I'm going to be the one issuing judgments and edicts, that's madness. And that's why God doesn't allow that, because it is madness. But when the judge himself, the crime has been committed against the judge, the judge now can say, look, you owe it to me. You, are the, you have violated my, me. And he didn't even just wink and nod at the person standing in front of the throne. He gets off of his chair. He steps down and now takes the punishment for this person. And by the way, the person in this metaphor is you. It's me. God could not be just if he just winks and nods and says, boys will be boys. God could not be merciful if he punished everyone who sinned. The cross was the only way that that could happen. The cross is where justice and mercy kiss and come together. I don't know which theologian said that. I would totally give them credit. But that's why the cross was so important. And that's why forgiveness is the greatest problem that God would ever have to solve because he couldn't just speak it out. That is how guilt is dealt with. And yet some of you in Christ still feel that guilt. He says here he wants you to rule and reign with him. He wants you to reign in Christ and you aren't reigning in Christ because you're still feeling that guilt. The last thing I wanna share you is how to heal that guilt. He lays it out. The handheld and the, and the clicky, they don't really go together, so good. <laughs> the technicalities here. The way that this guilt can be healed in you. We know how God wants to deal with it, and the way that God would deal with it is that he himself would take the punishment, he himself would receive it, and now you are forgiven, and that guilt is absolved as far as the east is from the west. He doesn't see your sin anymore. And the way, though, that that is going to be healed in you, I want to just show you the last verse. of. Uh, I'm going to read verse 20, actually, which we didn't read earlier. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What can heal your guilt if you still feel that 
twinge of guilt. The more we are aware of our sin, do you see that? As sin increased, grace increased. The more that we are aware of our sin, this is the exact opposite of almost what any therapist will tell you to do. They will tell us to minimize our guilt. Not all therapists, of course not. But to minimize it. To not beat yourself up over it. Don't think about it. The gospel is the exact opposite of it. Because as I acknowledge the magnitude of my sin, grace doesn't decrease, it increases. You see, Jesus shared a story about this. It happened when a woman came to Jesus who was considered unclean, and the Pharisees, I think it was Simon if I remember right, Simon said if he were a real prophet, he wouldn't let her do that to his feet. He would know that she was unclean. And Jesus' response to Simon was something along the lines of, you know, Simon, he who is forgiven much loves much. The only difference between her and Simon was she knew and acknowledged her sin and Simon did not. The way to heal that guilt is the more you take that down inside of you, that I actually deserve this, that my sin is not better than I think, but worse than I could possibly understand. It means that then grace increases it's not self-flagellation. It's not self-pity. This is the gospel healing you from the inside out so that you and I in Christ can reign with him. I I'm going to say something that this is not a thus saith the Lord. This is a thus saith the Darren. There's a movement that's happened in the last few years, um, specifically in therapy, specifically in a lot of internet memes and whatever, in the it's okay to not be okay. Now listen, most of my childhood, I understand where that movement came from, okay? Because we all pretended like we were okay even if we were not okay. But the pendulum swung so far the other direction that the okay to not be okay becomes now a new identity of not being okay. But what if Jesus says, hey, it is okay to be sad. It's okay to be angry. This hurt, this, that. But I'm healing it, and I didn't come here so that you could not be okay. I came here, I love you just the way you are. While you were still a sinner, I died for you. But I don't want you to stay that way because I love you too much to let you stay that way. What if you allowed the gospel of what Christ did to heal your not okay parts so that you are not wallowing with Christ but ruling with Christ, reigning with Christ. Before Christ, it says that death reigned. But we are not before Christ. We are after Christ. And after Christ, death doesn't reign. We reign in Christ 
Jesus. And brothers and sisters, if you can grab a hold of that and preach that gospel to yourself, that's what the world needs to see from us right now. A.W. Tozier's statement from decades ago that a frightened world needs a fearless church. I think what happened in this last 18 months in the American church was there were a lot of people in the, it's okay not to be okay, and then when this happened, they stayed in the not okay part. Fart, part, sorry. We can edit that, right? Yeah, but why would we? That's not an indictment against every church in America. I'm just saying that I felt that happened. And at the time when I felt like Jesus wanted us to rise up and reign as those who are forgiven, as those who have been justified, as those who are sons and daughters of Jesus, why are we acting like we're still in the pig pen wallowing in fear when the God of the universe went to this kind of trouble so that we could reign with him in this life. That's the rest of that sentence. He demonstrated it to you, verse eight, that while you were still sinners, he died for you. It was demonstrable because he waited not until you got saved, not because he waited till you all of a sudden got your crap together. He did it before that and now empowers you and loves you in a way that inspires you towards that. I hope that you guys, that we can get a hold of that in our hearts. Uh, stand to your feet. I, I know that it's 1230 and there's like a Titans game or something happening. That's how you know it's Titans season. The first service was jammed. <laughs> And Jamie's got to drive to Mississippi, so I'm just trying to preach long to keep him here. Um, would you walk out of here today asking yourself the question, am I ruling and reigning with Christ in the, the forgiveness or am I still in the guilt of it? I want to pray for you, Heavenly Father. For my brothers and sisters who maybe are not in Christ at all, Lord, would you let that guilt that they feel actually lead them to repentance, to lead them to you? And for those of us that have been led to you, could you now remind us of who we are and who you created us to be, to be ruling and reigning with you as forgiven, as loved, as chosen by you, justified, forgiven. Would you bolster that in our hearts today? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great Sunday, and we will see you next week.